0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. While I've never met today's guest, I sure as hell know who she is. Lena Olin is one accomplished, celebrated, respected actress, considered the greatest to come to the States from Sweden since Ingrid Bergman. Before doing so, Lena made her on-screen debut in Ingmar Bergman's Face to Face, and she did so while in drama school. She continued working with him on both the stage and big screen in Fanny and Alexander, which won four Oscars, and after the rehearsal. Lena made her English-language film debut in The Unbearable Lightness of Being, starring opposite Daniel Day-Lewis, and for which she received a Golden Globe nomination. This breakout role led her to work with such top-tier directors as Stephen Daltrey, The Reader, Sidney Lumet, Night Falls on Manhattan, Roman Polanski, The Ninth Gate, Sidney Pollock Havana, and Chocolat, Directed by Lassa Hallstrom, who, by the way, happens to be Lena's husband. She was nominated for a BAFTA Award for her performance as Josephine Muscat, the victim of brutal beatings by her husband. Lena also starred in Enemies, a love story based on the novel by Isaac Bashevis Singer. She was nominated for an Oscar and received a New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Supporting Actress. Lena has worked with a distinguished roster of actors, including Richard Gere, Robert Redford, Johnny Depp, And now, Bruce Dern. They play a married couple in The Artist's Wife. It tells the story of Claire, a painter in her own right who lives in the shadow of her husband, Richard's illustrious career. While working on his final show, Richard's moods become erratic and he's diagnosed with dementia. Claire has a rough road to navigate stand with him on the sidelines or move into the spotlight herself. Also, Lena is no stranger to the small screen. She portrayed the iconic Irina Derrick. Jennifer Garner's mother an Alias, and Lena was part of the cast of Riviera and has a recurring role in the Amazon series Hunters. So let's meet and get to know this cinematic heavyweight Lena Owen. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Thank you so much
1: for having me. That was so nice to listen to. I was like, that sounds great. I,
0: you know, I hear that a lot from my guests. And the thing is, I don't make this stuff up. When you, So if you want me to deliver your eulogy, you know where to reach me. Okay? Yeah, that sounded like a fairy tale. I love it. Let's go back in time. I'd like to ask the women who have been actresses, were you putting on plays in the barn? in the backyard when you were growing up. Yes, I did.
1: Exactly that. It's like you read read my life story because I did. My parents were both actors and uh, I had two older brothers and we had a little summer house, which all people in Stockholm in those days who could had a little summer cottage outside of Stockholm where you went on the weekends and and summers. And I grew up with watching my brothers doing in a barn, opened up the doors, put the chairs out, and had performances and shows with music and entertainment. Oh, gosh. And and I was much younger. I was the youngest one. So at the age of four, I was introduced as the miracle child who could read because I had this this real strange talent of learning by heart so easily. And I could learn a book, Petter and his Goats, which was a Swedish fairy tale. And I knew the book by heart. So I could turn the pages and stand in my little dress and read. So I was My first performance actually was as the miracle child who could read at the age of four, which is not so miraculous, but in those days,
0: I guess it was. No, it's a big deal. It's a big (laughs) deal. I think reading at four is a big deal. Yeah, but the thing is I cheated because I knew it by heart, which was even more (laughs) miraculous that
1: I could learn it by heart so, so perfectly. So that's my first performance actually. And then I started putting on my own shows with my friends and forced everyone I knew wanted to be my friend, had to perform and do as I told them, because I was the big, big, very bombastic director who wouldn't listen to anyone but my own
0: instincts. Hey, that only means that you had a strong sense of self. Yeah. Who was in the audience when you and your siblings were performing? And by the way, did you charge? Yes, we did. We did oh, charge.
1: Did. <laughs> I don't think it was terribly expensive, but we did charge. And it was neighbors and parents, of course, neighbors and people around. We we were quite ambitious. So we used to bike around and and tell them there's a big show going on and you need to. (laughs) (laughs) And then we sold tickets as they showed up.
0: Well, not for nothing, you wore all these hats, so you were promoters, you were financiers, you were the actors and the directors. Very, very impressive. I left all that stuff out of your resume. If I had put it in, I'd still be doing the intro. As I mentioned in the introduction that you were in drama school when Hmm. you were cast in an Ingmar Bergman film. Did you feel like you died and went to heaven when that happened? I kind of did and did not. It was almost like a
1: little magic, how I felt that I was on a path and I did, I did just follow the path in such an odd way. And and Bergman has this sort of divine quality that he comes into your life and he puts his arm around you and he blesses you. And in, in, if there's any sort of like actors, like theater blessing, he's the one who will bless you and then you feel that you kind of have the magic dust and and mm. you doors open up and he's also amazing to work with cuz he's so into the craft and he doesn't take any shortcuts and he he doesn't oddly enough he's so practical when he works so he's really teaching you how to you know he gives you great tools mm. Which, which has been extremely helpful throughout my, my life and my work.
0: So clearly that experience gave you, as a young person, street cred. Yeah, exactly. So take us on this trajectory. You're in drama school. You work with him. Why and when did you cross the Hudson? No, that's New York City. Why and when, <laughs> 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 Why and when did Hudson. you co- come to the States?
1: Well, I hadn't. I hadn't even been to America. I started working at the Royal Dramatic Theatre, which was Ingmar's company, but it's also like the National in Sweden. And I was doing a lot of work there. And I, you know, it's a repertory theater, so you play at night and you rehearse during the day. So your life is basically the theater, and everyone you know is in the same theater because you have no time outside of it. So. That's what I did for a few years, and and then you shoot films if you can in the summer when there's a break, and I had obviously done work with Ingmar, and I did work with Ingmar at the theater, and then I got the offer, because they came to Sweden and saw me. I was in King Lear, which was directed by Ingmar Bergman, and Phil Kaufman and Saul Sens, the producer, came to Sweden, and... Mm-hmm and watched me perform. I don't know why they they came to watch me, but afterwards I was contacted by one of the producers of The Unbearable Lightness of Being and said that they wanted to meet me. And um, we had a meeting and they, they liked me. And uh, Phyllis described our meeting in such a sweet and amazing way, how we met at the Grand Hotel. And uh, he kind of knew, it seems that this was... His Sabrina, and that's Mm -hmm. who he wanted. Mm -hmm. And I got the part, and we shot it to a large extent. We shot it in Europe and Paris and uh, actually in France, most of it in France. So the first time I came to America was when we shot the end scene, which was shot in San Francisco. After we shot the whole film, it was basically put together. The end scene was shot in San Francisco,
0: and that was the first visit to America. And you were how old? 30. Okay. Okay. So when you got here, you Mm. just said, I'm staying. No, I did not. No, I did
1: not at all. I I was like, I'm I'm going back. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm going back as fast as I can. And I went back. And I s- kept on working in Sweden at the Royal Dramatic Theater. Maybe I did some films, some TV, something. And then once the Embarrassed of Being opened, I got a lot of offers and a lot of agents were reaching out to me to represent me here in America. And then I got Enemy's a Love Story. And I just loved that script. I loved the book and I loved the script. And I met with Paul Maserski in London, I think. I was shooting mm-hmm. something else, a Swedish film, with Stellan Skarsgård, actually. And I went hmm. and met with Paul Maserski in London, and he cast me right there for to play Shane and Missy Love Story. And so that was my first visit to New York, I think. And we shot uh and Miss Love Story here.
0: What did you think of the Big Apple? I was overwhelmed, no I think. Kidding. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now I love it, but it took me a long time to, I was so overwhelmed by the whole grandness of it all. So it took me a while to, to get used to it and to, to start loving it. And then now I'm crazy about it, crazy mm-hmm. about it. And I'm, I love New Yorkers, I love New York. I love, I, I love so much here. But in the beginning I felt very out of place.
0: I would assume also that you did a lot of work on both coasts, correct? Yeah. And what was that like for you to be in California? I mean, a whole different ballgame, clearly. Yeah,
1: whole different, uh, a completely different ballgame. And in Los Angeles, everything is geared towards making movies, which in a way is super convenient, but also... You wonder where life is <laughs> because everyone is there for movies. Everyone who lives there are working within the industry one way or another. This is um, and obviously exaggerated, but you feel it, that's how it feels when you're there working. So there's no, okay, we're done shooting for the day. Now I'm going to go out and see other people who are also actors or want to be actors. But at the same time, it's it's really helpful when it comes to shooting because everything is there. And and so I didn't want to live there, but I really enjoyed working there.
0: I'm curious as to how you, I want to phrase this the right way, that you know what roles you want to play. Well, what do you look for in a role? You're so accomplished and you've just got all this, like I've said, Street cred, I'm sorry if I'm deifying you, but I do think it should be St. Lena Olin. So that's a whole other thing.
1: When I read a script, it's not anything in the character or in, it's just that there's something where I feel and it, it happens or it doesn't happen. When you read the script and you start playing the scenes, you start like, oh my gosh, and then she could do this, and then she could, oh, and that your imagination starts going. There's something that ignites within you. Like when you meet someone, when you meet someone and sometimes it's like, uh, that was a nice mm-hmm. person, but it's not, yeah. I'm, I'm not right. going to cry if we never meet again. Right. And sometimes you meet someone and it's just like, there's something in, there's something that sort of happens that you you wish that you would meet that person again. And that person challenged you or inspired you. And it's the same thing with the character a written character, either it's dead for you, and it's like, okay, not for me. Or, in best case scenario, it's something that inspires you, and you you just you you start smelling it, and you start feeling it, and you start acting it, and then you put the script down, and you keep on thinking about the character. You start start fantasizing the way you do when you start your work when you've signed on to something, and you start like everything you do is now in company of the character you're not going to play, even if it's you're eating breakfast or you take a walk or you have a conversation with a friend, the character is always with you. So right. everything
0: you see sort of you, you sort of use for the character. Have you ever turned down roles? Yes. Because in your gut, you knew this wasn't for you. Yeah. And, and sometimes you're wrong, mm-hmm. but sometimes you're right. Yeah. It's like asking somebody who's your favorite child, but I'm going to go ahead with it anyway. (laughs) Was there just some film that you said, holy shit, man, this is... I died and went to heaven. Uh, uh,
1: I I couldn't say because you're so... I think for me, it's more the people that I work with. I actually have to... You know, the latest work I did before all this was with Hunters for Amazon, and the writer creator there, David Weil, is someone that I really felt this is something so extraordinary. I'm so blessed to meet this person and to get to work with him, and and that has happened a few times in my life, which is so blessed and so so. It's more that like the meeting with Bergman, like mm. the meeting with another Swedish playwriter called Lars Norén or another Swedish director called Bovide de or or working with with Paul Masersky. And uh, that is sometimes I just like, oh this is this is this is heavenly for for me to experience this, to have mm. this collaboration. Because I tend not to look at films that I'm in if what does I that can mean? avoid it.
0: A- after the fact?
1: Yeah, after the fact. I I hardly ever, ever, ever look back. Wow. Because I think I'm, so, I'm so worried that I'm going to be disappointed. Because I have this big thing in my head, <laughs> and actually, the other day, the other night, because we just spend, as I'm sure you, you, everyone is aware that we spend so much more time at home, and and you watch things, and for some reason, you have this, what is it called, like this criterion, whatever it's it's called. Like there's a there's a a channel where you can watch movies, like quality movies. And me and my husband actually watched Enemies, A Love Story, and I haven't seen it. I've not, not seen, I've done the ADR. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you see snippets, and I hadn't seen the whole film, and I was so pleased that my husband, was, you know, like, my God, this is so She's good. She's
0: good. Is that what?
1: <laughs> and the thing is that then he said, let's watch, watch something else. And I was like, no, I can't do it, because now I'm really worried that I'm going to be disappointed, because I really was very happy with this. Right, right. I don't want to jing- like go any further, because now I'm going to meet someone like, oh, how could I? Why did I do this or look this? or?" But that was a really
0: nice thing that I was actually happy. I was like, Wow, this is really good. <laughs> uh, I would be remiss if we didn't go initially for the obvious here and talk about Chocolat happened to have been directed by your husband. So mm-hmm. what came first? Your role in the film or your role in his life?
1: <laughs> My role in his life came first. So, but it was really it was the first time we worked together and it was such a great experience. We really I think the best of him comes out on a movie set. And I think the same thing goes for me. I think um, all of the the little things in your daily life is gone and you're just there as professionals and professionals happen to also have a deep love and respect for each other. So it really was super fun. We really enjoyed it. And we're going to work again. He's now writing an amazing script about there's a Swedish painter called Hilma of Klint, and she, she died in 1946 or something, right after the war. Wait and a second.
0: I saw, wasn't there an exhibit of her work at the Guggenheim? Yes. And it was I saw it. She was success. amazing. Yes.
1: It was such a big success. And she was really, she was the first abstract painter, and she never got any recognition really? for that. And then, yes. and then And then Mondrian and Kandinsky and all those guys did it a decade later, and they were like, oh, they were the first. And because she was a woman and because she was in the north of Sweden, nobody cared. And now she's getting the big, you know, Guggenheim has never had as successful an exhibition like hers. And she's getting so much recognition, but she had a really, really tough life. She she was from an aristocratic family and they sort of didn't they sort of pushed her out and uh, they didn't get her they didn't get the way she painted and the fact that she wanted to paint they thought she should get married to a nice doctor or something and she was she she loved women and she loved painting and all of that made her life really really hard and now she's getting this big recognition all over the world and and uh, Loss has written a script about her, and we're really excited about that project. So you Everything. will play her?
0: Yeah. Oh, that is so great. I. Yeah. You know what? If she's in a grave, in a plot, I hope she's turning over in a grave that, <laughs> that, that she knows this. More. Talk about long overdue. I mean, <laughs> what? Oh, that's an outrage. But, oh, but wonderful. But wonderful. Yeah. So it's yeah. funny that this is almost thematic because it leads into the artist's wife. Mm -hmm. How did that come about?
1: Uh, I was in Sweden doing a play again, just, yeah, I guess it's now two or three years ago. And uh, in Sweden, I was sent a script for my manager and I read it and I just, there was something about this character and her brave way of, 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 doing what she did and the way she so, exactly, furiously sort of protected him. And through that, got in touch with her own creativity and things that was sort of, that she had left behind within herself and within her life. And I think that's, it's sort of, and I think mostly women, actually, I think have the tendency of sort of doing things for others, being so, busy with taking care of others. And even though we've come really far, I think it's sort of a tendency to care so much and kind of leave behind big parts of who we are. And I think through this devastating disease and through this chaos and tragedy that she's thrown into, where he loses it, loses his mind, she gets in touch with something that's that I think she's been missing. And I think that's very relatable for a lot of, of women that they've sort of left behind so much of who who they really are.
0: His dimension notwithstanding, you certainly got the impression from this film, which I saw, that clearly Richard came first. Uh, oh, yeah. In all phases of life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Honestly, even though we know this is women, I still found that hard to watch. It just yeah. gets so damn pissed off.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seems like his whole like their lives together. Because uh, I think I don't know if that's a backstory that Tom Dalby talked to us about, or that I don't think that's in the film. But but they met when he was her teacher at at school. He's been teaching painting uh, and which he he still does even though it starts to crack everything starts falling apart when we meet them because of his right. disease but right but i think that that's how they met and she admired him and she was a painter and she fell in love and and then she just stopped and it was all about him and his painting. And, and then in one of the arguments they have where he's like, I've never cared about your painting. You, you, you don't even know how to paint and the disrespect he had for her painting. And I'm not sure if that was just the disease talking. I think also there was a disregard of her talent or... or so it's such a revenge for her through him being sick and the fact that she she lets it be that it's his exhibition even though we see that she is the one painting now mm-hmm. i think is very grand and i i didn't mind that i thought it was very cool actually that she she is now in touch with her own creativity and she's going to keep on painting and it's not it's not the end of the road for her at all
0: and uh, i kind of like that a lot there's a scene in the movie It's wintertime. It's in the very beginning of the film, actually. And you're schlepping through the snow with a bag
1: to Mm -hmm. go
0: to his studio. He wanted brushes. And Mm. they didn't have the exact kind that he had asked for. Mm. And you explain that to him. And he basically ignores you. Mm. And I just, is that something that dementia notwithstanding was something that she was used to? I I think so. it's totally so. invisible. Yeah, I think so.
1: I do believe that they had in the beginning I think the marriage was good and I think it it has had obviously good parts about it but I think that for some weird reason uh and it's so incomprehensible but I think women has a tendency of not being seen and sort of coping with that and just sort of living. <laughs> keep on living with parts of them not being seen or being treated that way. And it, it is changing, but not as fast as I wish it would. And, not, and I try to, I have a daughter myself and I try to just, she has the strength and the confidence and be just, be just as much trouble as you need to right. be Sure, sure. in a relationship and never, never, ever try to make it work. If it doesn't work, you should be the one to call it. Yeah, get and, the hell you know, out. Yeah, uh-huh. and all of that. I I wish that she will be impossible in relationships instead of being like, no, I made it work, and I because <laughs> I think that's still such a plague for women and but for, come and for on, men Lisa, too.
0: But look at who her role model is. You've got to acknowledge that. Look yeah. at who her mother is. You know, <laughs> let's let's do one of these cliches in terms of the acorn. Uh, the acorn doesn't fall far, right? <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I've inspired her. And I, I, I think I have. And it, and if, if I have, I,
0: I really love that. In Chocolat, is there a theme here? You played a woman who was married to an abusive man. So yeah. you, you've certainly got that under your belt in your film career. Yeah. How did you meet your husband? Uh, actually, I had,
1: we were sort of the two people working in America and uh, we were pushed together a lot. Like we were the two Swedes working here. And,
0: uh, <laughs> As in and, the only Swedes uh, working yeah, here. Yeah,
1: in those days, it seems seemed like he was directing and I was. And um, when I was doing the publicity tour for the Unbarbable um, of Being here in America... His film, uh, My Life as a Dog, had just opened and people loved it. So a lot of people were asking me, oh, do you know Lars Hallstrom? And I was like, <laughs> not really. <laughs> what so, year was this? What year was uh, this? Uh, that must have been like, was it like 89 okay. or something like that maybe? And mm-hmm. and then I think he called and asked me out when we were both in Stockholm And that's how we met. And then there was such a relief to have someone who had that. Because Swedes are odd. It's sort of both with pleasure and pride, but also guilt when you have something fantastic going on. And it was fantastic the way-
0: You mean you're you're not worthy, that kind of a thing?
1: No, it's not that. It's almost like you're very quiet about having success.
0: Ah, <laughs> it's, it's
1: quite uh, the opposite of here where it's uh, like, no, that's no, no, for it's sure. going okay. It's not, you know, it's not, oh, I'm a big star in America now. It's not that <laughs> at all. It's the opposite. It's like, yeah, no, I've done I've done a film or two. And yeah, no, I was nominated. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> but it's like, it's a little shh. You're quite shy about it. Yeah. And to have someone like Lasse to share the same experience, because we were sort of big shots in Sweden, and then we had this, this opportunity to work abroad. And, and, and it was really very nice to have someone who had the same take on it and the same kind of, the same experience, yeah. Well,
0: and also for each of you within your own right to be equals professionally.
1: yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was really amazing. So
0: that's how we met, and then it just kept going. And with the exception of Chocolat and now this new film, that's really been the only really big times you guys have worked together?
1: Yeah. Oh, we did a Swedish film, too, called The Hypnotist, mm-hmm. which was sort of a crime-ish kind of a thing.
0: But those are the only times. Have you ever thought about a role that you would really like to have that you haven't? It's weird. A friend of mine
1: who I worked with in Hunters, who is an Australian, amazing actress, and we talked about parts to play and she's played Richard III and stuff like that. And it's mostly male parts. Like I want to play Iago in Othello. I want to play those parts. And my whole life, I've been very attracted to that kind of a, a character. And nowadays you can. It's not like, So weird. Mm. So so that's that's very cool, I think. And I think that's something that would be extremely, extremely exciting for me.
0: Where do you fit in your head for stage and small screen work? You've made a lot of movies, and I, as I mentioned, you also have done TV series and shows. Is there talk about those two parts of your life? Do you want to expand those roles in any way?
1: Yeah, I really am very intrigued by what's happening in television and the way actors are embracing television and trying and being more courageous and and doing things that might not have happened on the big screen and and the fact with and series is extremely rewarding for actors because you keep going. It's almost like the way I grew up as an actor at at a repertory theater, you have your ensemble, you have people you work with and you come back to and you get to know, and you're very safe in that group of people. That's what's happening with TV shows. And that's super exciting. And uh, I really love that. So we're going to do season two of Hunters and I'm super excited about that. And it's like, we were all emailing each other and so happy that we get to come together again. And now we've got so much done already because we, we did season one and we have so much already covered in, in, in that group of people. So that's super, I really love TV in that regard and it reaches people. And then of course, making movies is always magic. You know, that's something that I, I want to keep doing for as long as I can.
0: Has there ever been a role that you've had after the fact, and you just kind of grown I, oh, as, not grown, G-R-O-W-N, but G-R-O-A-N. Like, what was I thinking? Why did I say yes to that?
1: Hmm. I don't think so. I don't think I've had that. How great
0: is that?
1: Actually, my Swedish agent was saying to me after we did this play in Sweden, which was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and I was Martha, and... Mm. It was such a big to-do because I hadn't been on stage in Sweden for so long. So it was very like, oh now she's gonna do stage work. And then it really went well, which was great. And it was such a pleasure to do it. But afterwards, my agent said that was really brave because what if it hadn't because it was so written about and so what if it hadn't gone well? And I was like, I didn't even think of that.
0: <laughs> How great is that? Uh-huh. <laughs> which
1: is weird. Because in my life, i always like, oh, don't overthink things. But I just did it and I enjoyed it. And I was like, ah, that was good that it went so great. But it never struck my mind (laughs) that it would have been so disastrous since it was so hyped. It would have been so awful if it hadn't gone well. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think that you do things that you're not very happy with the way they come out. and, and, And that's sort of part of this business. But I've never had the experience where I'm in something
0: and I'm like, how did I why did I ever this? <laughs> was I drugged when I said yeah? yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> but as we were talking earlier, you you had a, a really strong foundation growing up. You and your husband have passed that on to your daughter.
1: Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, you might be right. That would be really
0: nice. I like that thinking. Oh, hey, use it. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you a really obnoxious question? Who did you not like working with, leading man-wise? Uh, yeah,
1: I don't. You know, there are moments in all collaboration where you like, where you argue or where you get into fights or where you think you shouldn't have done that or you, you. but I have such sympathy and such compassion for actors because it is we're all so fragile in a way, and we're exposed mm. to so much scrutiny and the way we look and the way we sound and the way we walk right. and the way. Right. So I can't say that I've had anyone that I've really been like, ugh, not one more minute with this person. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it actually hasn't happened. I don't think so. And if there's any kind of friction while you're working afterwards, you look at that person with such sympathy. So no, I couldn't. I I
0: actually that's great. Not. That is yeah. just that's wonderful. Have you ever thought about teaching? No. Not not Cause on I'm your because so imp- I'm so
1: impatient. So, are you if, really? Yeah, I am. Not in other parts of life, but when it comes to like you do it this way, you do it I think that I would be I don't think I would be a good teacher because I think it takes some kind of patience that I don't have.
0: Yeah, well that's where you and I are similar. I don't either. I don't <laughs> think I was born with that gene at no, all. No. No. And speaking of patience, how have you been dealing with the pandemic?
1: We've actually been I think it's helped growing up in Sweden actually that it's sort of like in the beginning where everything stopped and you take care of your own stuff. I think oh, I I didn't have so far to go to the ground. I sort of had my upbringing that it's back, back to basics. It's not mm-hmm. fancy. And I think that you're so grateful every day you wake up and you're healthy and the people you love right. are healthy. So, right. and also my husband has been writing the Helma script and... We've been working together on that because mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. again, it inspires me, and then we sort of play it out. And I sort of we read parts of it, and as we're doing that, I sort of no, 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 she should get out. She should get up and walk out, and then come, you know, we mm-hmm. I sort of act it out. So he has a little. I sort of do it for him that what he's written, and then he'll see. Yeah, that works, and that's going to make it more interesting, and that. So, so we've had such space and and peace to be creative and and that's so and great so
0: so it hasn't been bad at all what's the timetable for this film uh we want to start shooting in March and it's going to shoot in Europe so hopefully it's going to work so you both of you go back and forth yeah to Europe yeah do you still have a home in Sweden yeah we do and you still have family there yeah Well, Lena Olin, this has just been so delightful, so easy. I just have really enjoyed having a conversation with you and getting to know you. And for people who have not seen The Artist's Wife, I recommend it. You do a hell of a job. And if I had any power, I would certainly be nominating you for an Oscar (laughs) for your role. You're virtually in every scene, woman. (laughs) that's
1: true that's
0: true yeah Yeah. (laughs) well i ask this of you please keep us in your loop and if there are new projects that are coming out that you would love to share we'd love to have you share them with us and there's always an opportunity for a part two or three thank you so much this was such a pleasure it was so easy So thank you. Much more continued success and joy in your life. It's been great. Thank you again, Lena. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you.
0: Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.